0: Talk
1: Radio Ladies and gentlemen It's the Loretta McNary Show Hey, turning it down. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I am Loretta McNary, and you are listening to Loretta McNary Live, the radio show. Oh, I'm so happy today. I'm so excited. I'm ecstatic. I'm grateful. Oh, what a wonderful day. It is so beautiful inside and out, and I hope you guys are experiencing the same thing. Even if things aren't lining up the way you want them to, even if some things are going wrong, even if you're concentrating on lack, please stop. Concentrate on what is good in your life, and I promise you things will start to come into your life because I think when we are so focused on what we don't have, things aren't going the way we expect plan, them, then we become so tight and intense that it's hard to get our blessing inside our soul to realize the goodness and to release good endorphins so that good things come to us. And I know you said, Loretta, that's you. You're always so positive, but you know what? That stuff works for believers and unbelievers. You just got to think yourself into feeling positive. So anyway, enough said. I'm so glad today is Monday, September 16th, and our guest today, he has been on our show again, and what we realized um, yesterday... As we were preparing for the show, Ron Hall was on our show this time last year, too, because we were nominated for the Best in Black Awards, and we talked about that. And he said that he was going to vote for me, and I'm sure he did because I was in the top three, and the two people that I was in um, the race with uh, for the Best best in Black and local media personality were phenomenal women who are on our um, national Um, NBC, CBS kind of stations here, they're anchors and they're on every day and they have this big, huge marketing campaign, you know, and so they're out there. And for me to be up there with Marcova Reed from Channel 3 and Kim Clark from Channel 5 was simply amazing. So I didn't win, but I was in the top three, so this year I get another chance, nominated in seven categories this year. Oh, God, is simply amazing. So I'm hoping Ron will vote for me because it seems like he has that Midas touch, and I will definitely win some of those categories anyway. Okay, enough about me. Go to bestofblackawards.com. All over the world, you can vote. You don't have to be here in Memphis and vote for your local um, people that you like here in Memphis, and um, hopefully I'm one of those people. <laughs> Everyone, i got to tell you about my guest that's online, Ron Hall. I actually had a chance to meet him in person a couple years ago when he was here in Memphis for um, some work that he was doing with an amazing organization here, Agape. Oh, my goodness, he's so phenomenal. So let me just read some of the stuff that, you know, I found about him that I know also, but I want to make it professional, so I'll read with a public scent, okay? (laughs) Everybody can help somebody, even you. Everybody can help somebody as an encouraging retelling for children of the heart, tugging um, some kind of different as me, which has sold over 1.3 million units and have been a staple on the bestsellers chart. This wildly unique children's book tells the incredible tale of Denver Moore's life story with his artwork throughout. Little Denver grew up very poor, and he didn't get to go to school. As time passed, Denver decided to hop a train to the big city for a different life. But that life was difficult, and Denver spent many years as a homeless man. But God showed his love through two people who were very different from Denver. Denver's dream and my hope is that through the pages of this book, your children will be filled with compassion and with a desire to make a difference in the world around them by helping someone. And those are the words from Ron Hall. Everybody welcome the phenomenal my friend and friend to so many, many people that love him, Ron Hall. Hi Ron.
0: Wow, Loretta. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that uh, introduction. (laughs) You've made me feel uh, better already. I can tell you, you've brightened up my day.
1: (laughs) My work is done. Okay, thanks for calling and listening, everybody. (laughs) Bye-bye. That's
0: right. Well, I'm I'm sitting here on a beautiful day in downtown Dallas looking out uh, from my high-rise office here over. uh, I can almost see Memphis, Tennessee. It's so clear today.
1: All right, it is. Oh, my goodness. We love Dallas as well, so we're glad that you're calling in from Dallas, and that is beautiful weather there as well. So we have so much to be thankful for, even on our worst days. I try to tell people that. And I know, and I don't take it lightly, I know people are going through some really traumatic things in their lives, you know, death of a loss a loved one, loss of a job or a spouse or a divorce or, you know, children getting in trouble. And there's so much turmoil in this world here nationally and abroad. But we do, if we could just look up for a moment, you'll see we have so much to be thankful for.
0: Absolutely. So
1: All right, so you've been busy since last year. <laughs> you have been really, really busy.
0: Well, I have I have been busy. Actually, this little book uh, that was the last project that Denver and I worked on together before he went to be with the Lord on uh, March 31st of 2012. So we had completed this project, and he had given it his blessings, and he had painted the pictures that we used to illustrate his story. So I was very happy that he, he knew exactly uh, what was going on. He had seen the pretty much the finished product, not the not the book, but, but all of the paintings and the words that were written and, and the draft that we had made of it. But this all uh, goes back. This was something that he wanted to do. From the very first speaking event that we had in 2006, when we were in a little town in uh, in Washington, Richland, Washington, and upstate uh, in the state of uh, state of Washington, and we had gone there on a speaking event, and at at the event, a little boy came up and with a big red fire truck to uh, give to Denver, a toy fire truck. And his mom began to tell Denver the story that she had read uh, the part in our book, Same Kind of Different as Me, about how Denver had grown up poor on a plantation in Louisiana and had never had a real toy. And that he had to make his own toys from scraps of mm-hmm. wood and bottle caps and things like that. And the little boy was so touched by the story, he told his mom, He said, Mom, I want to give him my favorite toy so he'll have his first toy. Mm-hmm. So as a grown man, nearly 70 years old at the time, Denver received his first toy from a six-year-old boy in, in, in Richland, Washington. And Denver was so touched by it, the mother said, when my little boy is old enough, I want him to read same kind of different as me. And Denver looked at me and he said, Mr. Ron, why don't we write him a book that he can read right now? Let's write a children's book. And I said, okay, so we went back and started working on our children's book, and that was seven years ago. And finally, last Tuesday, it came out.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting here with tears in my eyes. It's the most beautiful story I've heard in a long time. But i got to do something. For sake, I'm a, I am am assuming everybody knows how awesome you are and they know the beautiful Loving, forgiving, God aligned story of you and Denver. So, let me, I just want to read a little background and then I want you to tell us about, you know, we're going to start from the beginning because I know I never tire of hearing the story and I've heard it and I've read it. And I'm sure I'm sure listening to who's heard it, they want to hear it again. And those who have not heard it run, we cannot deny them that, okay? So I'm going to read a little of Denver's bio and then yours, and then I want you to tell us that sweet story. And then we'll talk more about your books and then um, go back to um, the new kids' books. Okay. Denver was born in rural Louisiana in January nineteen thirty seven and after several tragic events went to live on a plantation in Red River Parish with his Uncle James and Aunt Ethel, who were sharecroppers. Sometime around nineteen sixty, he hopped a freight train and began a life as a homeless drifter until nineteen sixty six when a judge awarded him a ten year contract for hard labor at the Louisiana State School of Food, A. K. A. Angola Prison. According to Denver, he went and a man and left a man And received a standing ovation from prisons In the yard as he walked out of there In 1976 For the next 22 years He was homeless on the streets of Fort Worth, Texas However, there were a few times After a brush with the law He'd ride the rails visiting cities In hobo jungles across America Sampling regional cuisines Like the sausage And uh, with the fellow passengers That's Denver Moore and that's some of his story Now let me tell you something about um His best friend, Ron Hall, who we're talking to today, and it starts out while my daddy was fighting the big war in the Pacific, my grandmother delivered me in the farmhouse kitchen new blooming. Uh, near Blooming Grove, Texas, in September 1945. This was back in those days when country girls knew nothing about birthing babies. Lucky for me, because my granddaddy and the town doctor were on the bucket brigade of a barn fire that night. They knew a lot about birthing babies, which was great because they had to birth him. I grew up in the bed of my granddad's Chevy pickup truck till it was time to go to school. My first grade teacher was an old maid. His name is Ellis at Riverside Elementary. And let me skip down some more. So Ron had all this amazing um, education, and Denver had none. Ron had an amazing job as an art dealer, and Denver had um, an amazing job as a homeless person. And I say amazing because it created the man that everybody Knew um, as Denver Moore, Ron Hawk his friend, and everybody loved him. So everybody, I want Ron to now tell us, fill in those blanks, and how they became the best friends ever with two different lives from beginning to almost end.
0: Well, <clears throat> you know, there could not have been two more opposite people on the planet at the time. You know, I had become... Um, Wealthy as an art dealer, I was living in a very, very expensive home, living a a lifestyle of the rich and famous and traveling all over the world, uh, selling masterpieces to museums and private collectors, the kind of things that you would see in the museums across the world. And Denver had been living on the streets in the hobo jungles and by a dumpster for 20-something years, Um, a man who had never been to school a day in his life, had never been given the opportunity to go to school. And the likelihood that our paths would cross can only be something created by God. and But more important than that, there was a third party to our story, which Denver called Miss Debbie. It was my late wife, Deborah, who died in November of 2000. But Two years before her death, before she ever knew that she was ill, she had a dream about a homeless man. Uh, In her dream, she said it was like a verse in Ecclesiastes, uh, he's a poor man who is wise and by his wisdom, our city would be changed. And she asked me if I would go into the inner city to look for this poor man of her dreams. She had actually seen his face and knew that she would recognize him if she saw his face again. So... I went with her. We started serving in a homeless shelter. We'd been there a couple of weeks uh, serving a daily meal when all of a sudden this big, angry man breaks into the shelter screaming at the top of his lungs that he's going to kill everybody in the shelter. He's going to kill everybody until he finds the person who had stolen his shoes. And he was standing there with no shoes and no shirt and just some raggedy old unzipped breeches screaming at the top of his lungs and and he started hitting and uh, beating anyone that was near him and uh, so I have never been this uh, afraid of anyone or any situation in my life because I, I felt my life was in danger <laughs> and that's um, that's how I met the man who eventually became my best friend I asked uh well uh, I Actually, found a hiding place under the serving line. I was so scared, but I looked up and I saw that my wife was jumping up and down like a cheerleader on the sideline of a football game, and and I, I was saying, so she said, "That's him, that's him," and I said, "That's who?" She said, "That's the man I had the dream about." So I looked up from my hiding place, and there was only one man left standing, and he was still threatening to kill everyone, and he was screaming. Uh, it was it was a horrifying sight to those. <laughs> in in his presence at that moment. But she looked at me and she said, and Ron, I believe, she said, the man threatening to kill everybody is the one I had the dream about. And she said, I believe that I heard from God that you have to be his friend and find out what this dream is about. And I looked at her and I said, but Debbie, I was not at that meeting you had with God. And if I'm going to be friends with someone who wants to kill everybody, I think I should talk to God myself. So I asked one of the other homeless men that was standing next to me that was helping us serve, and I said, who is that guy? He said, I don't even know his name. He's been on the streets longer than anybody in Fort Worth, and she said, he said he rules the streets with fear and intimidation. And he said, a lot of people call him suicide because if you mess with him, it's just like committing suicide. And he said, you ought to stay away from him because that man will hurt you. And so that was my introduction into Denver Moore.
1: <laughs> Ow. okay. You got to tell them about um, when you go fishing and how what he said about white people. You know, they throw it back in well, the friendship.
0: I love that Loretta. story. And that's, and that's the reason that you and I are sitting here talking today. Because if he had not done that or said that, I would have been long gone. But you know. From that first moment that I saw him threatening to kill everyone, um, my wife insisted every day that I would go in and try to get him in my car and take him you know, to breakfast or coffee or something. It took me five months to finally get him in my car, and um, he was still screaming and hollering at me when I got him in my car to take him to breakfast one morning, but at the end of that breakfast, I... He said, what is it you want from me? He said, you and your wife are driving me crazy. And I said, well, (laughs) uh, he said, y'all are keep chasing me, you know, like I'm some wild animal or something. And I said, well, (laughs) my wife said I have to be your friend. And he said, you want to be my friend? And he was just, he had this incredulous look on his face that I would want to be his friend. And I said, that's it, man, just straight up, I want to be your friend. And he said, man, I don't want any friends. He said, but I'm going to have to think about that. And so... uh, it was just, it 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 got all over me that I was just, I couldn't believe that he was looking a gift horse in the mouth, but I thought, <laughs> you know, you are, I mean, you're homeless and I'm rich and you want to think about being my friend. You know, I, that's just how arrogant I was because I didn't think he had anything at all to offer me in a friendship. And on on the other hand, if he behaved himself and cleaned up and, acted, you know, somewhat normal, then I would, you know, take him around town and show him what it was like to be rich for a day and make him feel like that, uh, you know, make him sad that he hadn't made good choices in his life like I had made to be like me. That's the kind of person that I was, and that's what I thought I could do for him, and that he had nothing to offer me. But anyway, uh, he he said he was going to think about being my friend, and Anyway, a couple of weeks later, I saw him out by the dumpster taking some food out of the dumpster and feeding some wild animals and birds on the street. And I said, would you like to go get some coffee? And he said, yeah. So he got in my car, and we headed off to Starbucks. And on the way, he started screaming at me again, I just want you and your wife to leave me alone. And I thought to myself, if I get you out of the car today and I'm still alive, I think I'm going to leave you alone because you scare me. you know." And I just I don't know. I think you might actually kill me. <laughs> and so I we were sitting at Starbucks, and he said, I've been thinking a lot about what you asked me. And I said, well, what did I ask you that required any thought at all? And he said, well, you asked me if I would be your friend. And I said, oh, of course I did, so what do you think? And he said, well, he said... Uh, there's something I heard about white folks, and it's got to do with fishing, and I need you to answer this question before I tell you whether or not I'm going to be your friend. And I said, well, Denver, I said, I tell you, I am a a cowboy. I have a ranch. I'm an art dealer. I know a little bit about art, and I know a little bit about ranching. But I don't know anything about fishing because I don't even own a, a rod and reel or a tackle box. And he said, but I bet you can answer this question. I said, okay, you go ahead and ask it. And I said, well... He said, Well, you know, I heard when white folks go fishing they do this thing they call catch and release and I said, Well, Denver, of course they do. It's a sport, don't you get it? And he said, No, sir, I don't get that at all because back on the plantation where I grew up, we'd go out in the morning and we'd dig us some worms and cut us a cane pole and sit on the river bank and when we finally got something on our line we were really proud of what we caught and we would we would take it back and show it off to our friends and family and use it for life and to sustain us. And he said, so it occurred to me, if you're just a white man that's fishing for a friend, and you're going to catch and release, then I ain't got no desire to be your friend. And I thought to myself, wow. back to Debbie's dream. This was a poor man who was wise, because what he spoke to me at that moment was the wisest thing I ever heard on friendship. And I said I only had a moment to think about it, and I I thought okay Denver I'm going to take a chance and I'm going to be your friend, and he said then Mr. Ron you got a friend for life and I said you do too Denver, and so mm. he captured me and uh you know I I guess I, I was hooked, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know I I still go back though so thinking that who was the fisherman and who was the fish, because. Basically, I mean, this man became the professor and I was his student, you know, but I still think for all of us that want to make a great catch like that, you know, God just wants us to cast our nets and let him take care of the rest of the business. But if we're not willing to cast our nets, we'll never make a catch.
1: That is so profound, because I never think of it like that. You know, when we think of um, being friends with somebody, and I guess we all go into it thinking we are the the cat, and people should be grateful to have our friendship at some point, and for you to, to be so transparent now, Ron, and say what kind of person you used to be, and that is so liberating for all of us, especially me, and I'm sure my mm-hmm. listeners and the audience can probably uh, be liberated because we don't think about it. You know, we wouldn't verbalize it, and you go into friendships not, you know, thinking it, but not really verbalizing it. For you to really be able to verbalize it, you thought you were the catch, and that you had so much to give him. He had absolutely nothing to give you, and then he just turned it all around with. The most profound wisdom that you had ever heard on friendship, and that your your friendship did last is lasting a lifetime, even though Denver's going on that you will always be friends until you meet again and that wow, and that's why I love talking to you because you always bring out those little nuggets in our life that we we need to cherish and be grateful for like friendship, even if whether they last a lifetime or they last you know just long enough for us to learn something from each other, it's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, you know, and so that's the first book that you guys wrote.
0: That is. That's the same kind of different as me. But, of course, the story as much goes on and on and on from there. and It's it's one of the most incredible God stories, I think, that I've ever heard. And the fact is that I lived the story and would not even have believed it myself had I not lived it and been the person that was a recipient of this great blessing. But um, – the story is so phenomenal that I've spent the last year now writing the screenplay for our movie version. And so we will be uh, hopefully beginning filming the movie here in the next few months through the same kind of different as me in the story of, of Denver and, and Miss Debbie and how the city and our lives and now much of America has changed, you know, because through Denver's story and his life, this was the man who was a man who had never been to school, a man who had been in prison uh, for 10 years, a man who lived in hobo jungles who had no friends. Uh, four years after Debbie's death, he be- was awarded, um, was-, was honored with the award as the philanthropist of the year for the city of Fort Worth for helping raise $12 million in building the finest homeless mission in America. And we went on to, be in more than 250 cities across America helping raise more than 80 million dollars for the homeless so uh, it was honored in the White House by President Bush and um, and that, that all that story we tell now in a children's book and the whole purpose of our children's book was is to encourage uh, parents to use it as a teaching tool to implant um the seeds of, of of kindness and philanthropy and to have uh you know not a judgmental attitude about the poor and the homeless. So that's uh, that's the idea that we hope that we can begin um putting in that those thoughts in the children's minds very early that they too uh that everybody can help somebody.
1: Wow, that is so beautiful. I want to pause just to take a break, uh, make a couple of announcements, and we're going to come right back to uh, talk to Ron Hall, the New York Times, the author and Denver Moore's best friend. And uh, the story, I promise you, you will not be the same as you were when you first tuned in because it—it it is very thought-provoking, and it makes you look back at your own life to see um, where you can do more in your life. If Denver can, I know we all can. We'll be right back in just a moment. Okay, so the break, um, the music is gone, but I do want to tell you about some announcements that we have. I want to invite in a, uh, everyone to listen in on Tuesday to Loretta McNary Live, Tuesdays with Michael Farmer, our spiritual personal coach and guru. Michael and I discuss um, nuggets from the Bible, yeah, and we relate it to real life to help people really feel more engaged and be able to apply God's word in their everyday life. We break it down so anybody can understand. And it has really been a blessing. We launched that part of the show over a year ago, and we have um, – we love your feedback. We love your comments. We love when people participate in the conversation. So you'll tune in on Tuesdays for um, for that with Michael Farmer. And then Wednesdays we have our uh, – fashion and PR guru every third Wednesday of the month, not Burrell. She comes on and she gives us um, information about crisis communication, how to um, use social media to brand, how to get more involved in the art community and use it as part of your brand strategy. And then on um, Thursdays, you know, we have a more amazing guest like Ron Hall and celebrity interviews and news and events and all that good stuff. So the show has really evolved, and because of you, our listeners, we are number—we're in the top 300 rated shows out of 15,000 on the world's largest radio online network, Blog Talk Radio. So thank you so much for that recognition and helping us being ranked in the top two percent out of 15,000. So. Things are happening here on Loretta McNary Live and I'm so grateful I could not do it without my amazing guests and my um fabulous audience that listen in and tell your friends and family about that. So thank you so much. We have tons of interviews um lined up for the next couple of we- I mean, couple of months that I'm telling you you're gonna wanna listen in and it will knock your socks off that kind of um topics we'll discuss and the celebrities that are come on. So having said all that, welcome back to our segment with best selling New York Times author Juan Hall. <laughs> okay, Ron. Back to you and your your story that just touches my heart every time I hear it. And because uh, when you came on the first time we talked about same kind of diff no. Yeah, same kind of different as me. And then you also have the next book was what different do it make what, what difference, difference do it make, do it
0: make? <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> yes what difference do
0: it make you know what i was uh, I, after denver and i had written this uh this second little book as a follow-up to what uh same kind of difference as me a lot of people wanted to hear more stories about denver and so we wrote the second book what difference do it make and but i was i didn't have a, a, a title for it other than what uh, same kind of different as me, stories of hope and healing. and But our publisher said, you can't have the name, same name of a book twice, so you've got to change the name of the book. So as we were on the phone one morning trying to come up with a new name for the book, Denver walked in the room, and I said, Denver, they don't like, our publisher doesn't like the name of our new book. And Denver looked at me, and he said, well, what difference do it make? And I said, hey, what do y'all think about that? <laughs> and they said, What did he say? I said, What difference do it make? He said, Hey, that's a great title. Let's go with that. So that's how that kicked out
1: <laughs> Okay. Oh my goodness <laughs> It's so hilarious, but it works. But okay, I, I wanted to before we went to the break you were talking about his award and how you guys have raised the money for homelessness to to rid it and to bring awareness to it so we can um we can do our part as citizens of this world actually. So I wanted you to share the story about when you all were talking, where this, meet- this big meeting and they were talking to- and they were spending all this money to figure out how to get rid of homelessness in about 20 years or whatever. And you and Denver oh. were sitting in the meeting and Denver came up with this, what seemed to me was so simplistic, but I don't know why it doesn't work. You know, if you have well, a problem, then this is the way you solve it when they were spending all this time and money to do it a different way.
0: That's right. Denver in his wisdom, we all. I always go back to Debbie's dream. He was a poor man who was wise, and by his wisdom, he changed the city. And we were in one of the largest cities in America, and we had visited probably fifteen homeless shelters during the two days that we were there. And we were speaking at their convention center that night, and in the afternoon before we spoke, the mayor was hosting us in the in the city council room, and they were giving us their 10-year plan that they had spent close to $2 million in two years developing, a 10-year plan to end homelessness in their city. And after they spent 30 minutes reading and telling us their plan, Denver said, do you all mind if I ask you all a question? And um, they said, no, we'd love to hear your input on this. And he said, well, why is it going to take you all 10 years to solve the problem here in your town? And they said, well, we hope it doesn't, but you, know, you know, we had to spend two years getting the plan together. Then you know, we've had architects draw up the buildings. We've, had, uh, we've got to hire a staff. We've got to raise the money and uh, then build the buildings and implement the plan. And so maybe by six or seven years, we'll start seeing some results, and maybe uh, by 10 years, we'll have the problem solved. And Denver said, okay, I'm listening to you. He said, but let me ask you all a question now. How many homeless do y'all have on the streets here right now? And the person that was head of the plan said, we we have more than 6,000 homeless people on the streets that do not have a place to sleep at night. And Denver said, okay, now let me ask you this. How many churches do y'all have in your town? And the pastor that was on the committee that headed up the greater council of churches for their area said well we have more than six thousand five hundred churches in our city and denver said there you go there's your answer every church take them one and somebody ain't getting none he said we can take care of this problem in 30 days so And I thought, wow, that is wisdom, I mean, here, because we've always said that the homeless is not a government problem. It's a faith problem. It's a church problem. You know, we are the ones. The government is incapable of loving. You know, a government can provide some money for food, but food does not change lives. Food keeps you alive, but the only thing that changes lives is love you have to love somebody you have to be engaged and involved with them in order to change a life mm-hmm. and that's what it takes and that's why it's the church's responsibility to take care of the homeless and involve them and and make make them feel at home like when jesus you know said that you know you need need to take care of the homeless and you would the least that you've done for the least of these you've done for me and that's what we just don't get you know Denver asked me one time when we were walking the streets, uh, right after we became friends, and I was passing out dollar bills to homeless people like I was doing some great work there. And he said, and I said, he said, "You mind if I ask you a question?" And I said, "What is that?" He said, "Are you a Christian?" And I said, "Yes, I am." Denver, I was thinking maybe he had seen my halo. I don't, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but I guess not. So <laughs> anyway. I said, of course I am, didn't, but why do you think I'm down here giving this money to the people on the streets like I was doing somebody a great favor by giving them a dollar bill? And uh, he said, but you know, there's a there's a there's something that bothers all of us homeless people, and we just don't know who to ask this question to, but since you're a Christian, maybe you can answer it. And I said, well, then ask it. He said, okay. He said, why is it all you Christians worship one homeless man on Sunday? Then turn your back woo. on the first one you see on Monday. Uh, and I said, Wow, then oh I, I don't have an answer for that. But that was just part of his wisdom. And he said, you know, Mr. Ron, you never know whose eyes God is watching you through. And it's not going to be your preacher or your Sunday school teacher. It just might be one of those people like me that you see on the street, like the good Samaritan that was lying in the ditch. And God is just checking you out to see what kind of person you are. And then he kind of pointed his finger at me. And he said, you know, sometimes you rich, successful folks, y'all can rise up so high trying to get you some more stuff that you totally miss knowing God. He said, but you can never stoop too low to help one of these homeless people and have God miss knowing you. Mm. I said, wow, Denver, thank you for that that bit of wisdom. (laughs)
1: Mm. Wow. I could just, oh my goodness. Our conversation really turns almost soliloquy with you because i don't want to stop you because what you're saying every time you say it something different out of it like you said that the last time but i totally missed it how christians worship a homeless man on sunday and then turn our back on the first homeless person we see on monday wow i mean for lack of a better word wow Wow! So we talk (laughs) about him and his wisdom, and you being there to be the catalyst to get the message to, you know, to the world. It's just amazing that you. Wow, that's all I can say, Ron.
0: Is is when we were uh, when. You know, President Bush and, and, and Laura Bush recognized as they read the book and recognized that here was a poor man who was wise, and they invited us to the White House, and to, they wanted to hear some of Denver's wisdom, which was really funny. But as we were leaving the White House, we had spent the, most of the day there, and Denver starts laughing, and I said, Denver, what is so funny? And he said, "Mr. Ron, I done gone from living in the bushes to eating with the bushes." He said, "God bless America. This is a great country." <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, his life was full circle. It really was full of circle. And you know, well, you know, people can hear his story. You know, like I, I did when I first heard it. Many times I've heard it, and I felt so sorry for him. But now, when I hear his story, it's amazing how the paint was still all over him how God loved him and look what God did in his life. Again, it's like, you know, you can compare his story to, you know, not trying to belittle any sacrilegious, but his story like a, a Moses or like a Joseph, God shows your vision. I'm sure he probably told um Denver when he was young, but then Denver maybe like us, we don't see it because we're going through all this and, you know, why God, why God? And then all yeah. of a sudden every he meets God gives Debbie a dream. And a plant and then the land and then you need Denver and then how God has his magnificent fingerprint all over Denver's life and it, and it ends so wonderful and so beautiful that thousands and hundreds of thousands, millions of people hear his story and see what God did in his life, then there's no need to feel sorry for people and there's no need for us to feel sorry for ourselves because God will always use that pain for purpose.
0: Right. Always. Exactly. Mm. And, you know, I was uh, so angry at God for taking my beautiful wife uh, uh, at an early age. You know, she was only 53 <clears throat> when God uh, you know, struck her down, or when she was struck down with cancer. But uh, I realized now after all these years that she's been gone, and I've seen the millions of lives that have been touched and changed as a result of hearing her story and her dream, that, uh, you know, God... Prepared her, uh, gave her uh, this great story, so that more millions of more people could be helped, you know, through her death and the story of her, her life, than could of her actually the time that she spent here on Earth. And so he took her as um, as a way of of encouraging the world, because her her ministry and work was was uh, a, a lot like Jesus it was she was young and her and her work was finished and so he took her so that others might be helped uh through you know the work that she had done while she was here on earth and i i tell you i see that so clearly now because We hear every day from people all across America and the world. We have heard from people in more than 60 foreign countries that have been blessed by the story, the same kind of different as me, and what they have done in their own countries as a result of having read our book. So... I see God's hand on it so so powerfully and strong that it's uh <clears throat> it's a privilege to be a part of it it's a great responsibility and and uh, an honor though to carry Debbie's torch uh for the poor and the homeless as, as we still travel across America spreading the spreading the good news.
1: Well, you are doing an amazing job with that Ron. I mean and and one day does change our lives. One moment truly, truly does change our lives, and is is all in how you you know you could have said no way am I doing this, and you did say it, but you didn't. You changed your mind, and just think if you had not changed your mind, how many people would have missed out on all this wisdom and this profoundness, and and this inspiration and encouragement. So um, I say thank you. I, I truly, truly mean that. Thank you so much for saying yes. Thing, yes. Now, let's spend a little time on what you know. You guys were doing the second book and you were trying to find a name because the publishers didn't want it same a second book with the same name. And again, in all his infinite wisdom, Denver goes, <laughs> What difference do it make? And voila, is the <laughs> title of your second book.
0: Well, and even with the children's book that we're talking about today, uh, you know. As we finished the book, and I was calling it "Stories of Little Buddy" because I had envisioned maybe doing a series of children's book with life lessons that you could learn from Denver Moore, and growing up on the plantation, um, you know, he be- he was he was born just he was so tiny his grandfather used to carry him uh, around in the front pocket of his overalls, and they called him Little Buddy, but. Um, you know, Denver grew up to be almost a giant of a man, but he started off so small. But I, I always envisioned that we would be doing a series of children's books, The Stories of Little Buddy. And so that's what I was calling the book. Uh, but then at the end uh, of his life, and and uh, he was getting very ill, and I said, what is the one thing, Denver, that you would like to leave a message of? About you, about for the children, or in this book, what what is the one kind of final thought that you have for us? And he looked at me and he said, uh, he said, just tell them that nobody can help everybody, but everybody can help somebody. And I thought, wow, that's a good message for the kids, not even for the for but for the parents, but you know for the children to grow up learning that message that. Everybody can help somebody, so that's why we named our children's book that. And uh, and so it was. I was excited that uh, Denver was able to paint the the, the pictures for that. And and um, and hopefully, I mean, it just came out this week. So uh, I mean, like last Tuesday. So um, hopefully that will do well, and and parents will use it as a, a tool to teach their children that. Um, to have compassion for the homeless. Uh, One of the things that Denver taught me when I used to walk the streets with him, I was so judgmental of Denver. I was so judgmental of all the homeless people. I I had the worst attitude about them. And he picked up on that one day, and he stopped me in my tracks, and he said, "Um, Mr. Ron, he said, God didn't call you down here to be a judge. He said, we have courthouses full of judges. But he said, God doesn't need any more judges. He needs some servants. And that's why you're down mm-hmm. here on the streets with me. So,
1: mm. Again, I'm just bringing tears to my eyes. Okay, let so let minute, we all, oh my goodness, we only have, you know, 15 minutes left in the show. I want to talk more about the children's books because I believe that, Although it is a children's book, but I'm really, really believing that adults will really glean the most out of this because children already have this innocence and this unconditional love until, you know, things happen, people happen to them, and it changes, and we become these adults that you see today. But I just believe that, you know, I know babies are born with such innocence and such honesty and transparency, and then, you know, life happens. But so once people... Adults have to read the books to the children most of the time. Children can't. Most children will be able to read it. But when adults are reading it to the children, I believe it will have the truest impact at that moment, or at least that's what I pray. So is that kind of like the thinking behind it, or was it always because the little boy gave Denver the train, he's like he wanted to read the book, but he couldn't. So I just believe it's going to be so much more than what you guys, your your original intent was.
0: Well, that was always the the intent. But, you know, we started hearing stories uh, about from children. We would go to speaking events, and parents would bring their children. And one little girl in Alabama, and she lived in Fairhope, Alabama, uh, right outside of uh, Mobile. And she saw this book sitting on her mommy's nightstand and saw her mommy crying. And, um, and she said who, who is this uh she said who is this man that's on the cover of the book and why are you crying and she said well it's a very sad thing he's a homeless man and the little girl didn't even know what homeless was but she was 8 years old but after the mother telling her the story of denver she that afternoon she said mommy i want to have a lemonade stand in the front yard i'm going to start raising money for the homeless and then she got all the kids in her school to start doing the same thing, and she raised that day, and and that next week she raised you know uh, over, just over a hundred dollars for the kids selling lemonade and bringing pennies, and she took it down to the homeless mission in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, shared that and began serving evening meals her she and her parents, and I just thought. Wow! When you get an eight-year-old that's inspired to start raising money and doing something like that, that is just phenomenal. That our story touched someone like that, and so you know, little Lucy, what I, which I say she had a a heart and a plan and a lemonade stand too, and through that she was going to change the the the, the way that the homeless, uh, the way that she saw the homeless in her city and that if other kids across the nation would do that and become involved denver's um uh, his his plan to end homelessness could actually be accomplished by children <laughs> and uh, and not just the churches but uh, the children may be the ones to inspire their own churches and sunday school classes to begin ministering to and taking care of homeless people and so children uh denver was fascinated with uh, with children and um, the kids were fascinated with him and he loved to just sit and tell them stories about when he was on the plantation my grandchildren loved to hear the stories of him when he would be there uh, on the plantation um you know with the going fishing and the time that he was picking cotton and the man gave him his first bicycle after he picked 100 pounds of cotton and those kind of stories which kids just don't get to listen today you know he was uh just it was just a fascinating storyteller and i wanted to be able to give some of that back to the kids to um to know that you know uh, life is much different for our children today than it was for people like denver when he grew up and to appreciate what they have and and come from but also have compassion for those that have less than we do so i want to just plant those seeds in those little minds Mmm. Loretta. <laughs> Hello? Loretta?
1: I'm so glad you stayed here. You know what? Last time we talked last year, you were disconnected. This time, I was totally disconnected. I don't know what happened, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. I'm so glad you stayed on, and I hope you continue to tell your story because that's just I love when it happened because we're doing something right. If the enemy is going to go through technology, then again, it could have just been a glitch. But we're here. We're talking to the Fabulous Ron Hall. He is the author of his of so many books, three or four, and they're also awesome. And the newest book is a children's book, and um, that's what we're talking about. And it is a beautiful book. You can go online and purchase it, and I'm telling you, you will be changed. Purchase one for somebody else too because I'm telling you I'm gonna do that too for my Pink Eagles. I want books for them as well. So everybody can help somebody. Oh my goodness. Okay, Ron
0: <laughs> 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 Okay girlfriend, you're gonna have to have, to have you, a back on your
1: show.
0: You're gonna to have to have a back on your show when the movie comes out so we can have a premier movie show event in uh, in Memphis, huh?
1: We're going to, you know what, I'm so glad you said that because that's one of the other things I wanted to talk about was I was going to ask you the status of the movie, and Ron, I promise you, I want to, I am on your team. I am so part of your team. I'm just self-appointing myself because what you are doing is, is not like, of course, people can be entertained by it, but it is going to change the lives of so many people and ultimately change this world. You are playing a huge part of God's master plan. Uh, for Kingdom, War. let's talk about the movie. Yes, let's talk about the movie.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, the movie <laughs> will be titled same kind of different as me, so I don't think uh, I think Denver will approve of that. But uh, you know, basically, I just finished writing the screenplay. I was with uh, I had I was optioned by Disney for uh, you know I was under two year option with them where they were developing the film, but they had a non believing Italian write our screenplay, who totally took God and Christ out of the whole story. And I just threw a fit and said, our story will not be told unless God and Christ are a part of it. So I finally won the rights back to uh, tell the story myself. So I'm writing the screenplay and raising the money now to uh, to make the film. And, uh, you know, we're we're doing... I don't know. We're very close uh, on all of that. The screenplay is finished. We're hiring a director and a uh, producer this week. And hopefully we're going to be starting to roll the cameras here within about the next 90 days.
1: Oh, that is so awesome. Yay! Yes, Lord. Yes, 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 yes. I'm so – I'm. Um, well, oh, my goodness. I'm over the top happy to hear that that movie – it's going to be, it's coming to fruition because not only would that, I mean, all your books can be movies. It can be a weekly series because it talks about life and it talks about real life. It's not pretty always because our lives are not pretty every day. It just does not happen because if it did, you know, I heard this is one thing that really will sum up what I'm trying to say. God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. So all of this builds our, our character so that we really do look more like him every day. So I'm loving it. I'm love, 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 love being, love here in Nevada. <laughs> so yes, of course we have to do a movie premiere here. You have to come. We have to rent out some theaters here and just make it a big old wow. and Get churches to buy tickets and we'll have a red carpet and I'll interview you on the red carpet. I can see it so clearly. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I wish I could, but I've been I've been uh, working on this now for seven years and it's now very very close to happening and I'm I'm excited about that. So.
1: Oh my goodness, you know what? When you, I am celebrating seven years of having the Loretta McNary TV show. It brings tears to my eyes because I'm telling you, it has mm-hmm. not been easy, but it has definitely been <laughs> worth it.
0: <laughs> well, for your listeners today that want to know more about Denver and see that, they can, of course, read Same Kind of Difference as Me and What Difference Do It Make, but they can also go on our website, which is uh, same kind of different as me dot com, uh, or just Google Ron Hall and Denver Moore, and they'll come up with our website, same kind of different as dot There's a lot of good pictures on there of Denver and and stories and things like that that uh, your readers, if we've uh, you know sparked an interest in them today, and uh, then hopefully they will log on there and and, and find out more about Denver and uh, and be encouraged to make a difference in there. Uh, communities and neighborhoods, and just, you know, because everybody can help somebody. There's no doubt about it.
1: Oh, my goodness. And then how you said everybody can help. No, nobody can help everybody, but everybody can help somebody.
0: Well, that's what Denver said. (laughs)
1: You know what? And Jesus said it too. He didn't say it in those exact words, but Jesus said it too. And I know it's in the Bible. And that's what that's what sums up Jesus' ministry. We all and you said it best too. Love changes thing. Only your only love, because God talks about that. You can have all these amazing gifts. You can do all this amazing stuff, but without love, all that stuff is nothing. It is nothing, nothing, nothing. So I want to encourage everybody to check out your website. Same kind of different as me dot com. You can um see his calendar, you can see Divers artwork, you can see videos, photos, you can leave comments, you can read other comments, you can hear more about um their amazing lives um prior to meeting each other and just hear and read the whole story. I promise you it will change your life. It will change how you look at things, how you look at yourself and, and definitely how you look at people that you think have less than you. Yeah, you know, it, it just well, changes and, how you look um, at things.
0: And with uh, some, some of the words that touched me the most from Denver Moore, one of the things that he used to say is when when I would be talking about him on the radio, and he said, make sure that those f- folks know that, he said, just tell them that I'm a nobody that's trying to tell everybody about somebody that can save anybody. He said, Mr. Ron, mm-hmm. that's all you need to tell those folks. And so in and one of his final thoughts, Uh, words that he gave to us and same kind of different as me was he said he said you know what Mr. Ron what people don't realize is that we are all homeless we're just working our way home
1: Mm. and see his words are so biblical oh my goodness (laughs) because the Bible tells us that this world is not our home you know, we're just well, passing by. We're just passing through. We're just passing and, through. And
0: and just a word of encouragement from Denver too. He used to always say, "You know, if the devil ain't messing with you, then he's already got you."
1: <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and again, you know what? If and, you know, we have these questions. Well, I have had conversations with people, and especially young people who who are at the stage where they're questioning. Um, the question: of Whether God exists, and, and if He does exist, why do all this stuff happen? Which makes them say He doesn't exist because they feel like a God um, would not allow people who serve Him to to go through this stuff. So, for Denver to have no no formal education, none, living on you know the streets basically all those years, more than half his life, a quarter of his life, and have this kind of wisdom, if you. That there is a God, and then you hear Denver's story, and then how intelligent and how much wisdom he has. There's something, and you don't now believe that there really is a God. There's something wrong, <laughs> something is truly, really, truly really wrong with your logic and how you're thinking and your heart, because you have to know God from a, a more of a, a heart way than intellectually. Then intellectually, when you read his words, you can understand him on that level. But you have to first come to know him through your heart. Through your heart and your mind. Mm. Yes, we, and we, we've heard you from, that?
0: we have heard from people that have read our book, same kind of different as me, and said that they, before reading it, did not believe in God. And after reading it, could not deny the existence of God after reading our book. So.
1: Mm. Wow, and I I didn't even know that And for me to say what I said and then you said that, because it does. It, it, It does not disprove who God is. It proves who God is, and that's how you prove to unbelievers. Don't try to disprove what they believe, but prove to them by sharing why you believe it. Don't say because it's in the Bible. It has to be a heartfelt. It has to be intimate. That's how you win people over, by sharing the intimacy of who God is. And so I want people to check out, you know, his artwork. Oh, my goodness. If you would just see his artwork. And, again, for somebody who, you know, his he saw the world differently from most people because of, you know, his experiences of being, as, he, as was stated, in the, uh, uh what is it, the jungle, hobo jungle or jungle hobo, I mean, however yeah. you guys say <laughs> it. And then to see his amazing artwork. Oh, my goodness. So. Again, like I said, if nothing else. It, it proves that there is a God. It
0: does. That's true. That's true.
1: <laughs>
0: I can talk I you
1: have so much to share and I can talk to you all day long and you would never repeat what you said previously. And because of, of you know, you're saying yes again. Everybody you have to say yes. You have to say yes. You know, don't don't worry about all the other stuff, how, and just understand your why. And it's because you were asked and because you love God and you want to please Him. And it hasn't been easy. Ron is telling you, I mean, although he, you know, he tells you he had it going on financially. But it's more to life than just finances. And his story, again, proves your story, Ron, proves that.
0: Well, you know, one time that we saw a bunch of homeless people living under the bridges, and I told Denver, I said, I'd like to ask God why He allows all this homelessness and poverty just to be right in front of our faces like this. And Denver looked at me, and he said, Mr. Ron, I bet God would like to ask you that same question. Ooh. Why do you allow
1: Oh. My <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I guess that's, that's a good show ender. That's a good uh, question to end the show on, having had have the conversation with the uh, amazing Ron Hall <laughs> through the words of his best friend, Denver Moore. You know, when you ask why does God allow homelessness, ask yourself, why are you allowing homelessness? Thanks, everybody, so much for listening to Lorraine McNair Live. Ron, thank you so much for being our very awesome, amazing, phenomenal, mm-hmm. fabulous Humble guest today. I appreciate you, and can't wait to talk to you again. We will stay in touch. Everybody, think positive, dream big dreams, help someone along the way, and we'll see you very, very soon. Bye bye. Uh, thanks, Loretta.
0: Thank you. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh. It'd be a blessing for me